Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in, TFA fan, for yet another edition of Trends and Reactions, this time leading up to week five. Nate Henry here with a little bit extra facial hair. We've got a lot to share with you this week, so let's get into it. Jaguars versus Bengals. Some will say that LaVisca Chenault only got added run because DJ Chark was hurt. I disagree. Visca was targeted on the very first play of the game and actually was targeted twice on the first drive, including a deep shot. I think he's a major add on the waiver wire if available, especially with Trevor Lawrence looking a bit better. Titans versus Jets. Zach Wilson showed off some unbelievable arm talent in this game, and he was a catalyst for the Jets winning their first game of the year. At the same time, he continued to demonstrate some boneheaded mistakes, like the interception he threw early in the game, which looked like it was directly to a Tennessee Titans player. He had a bit more time to throw, but also created some more time for himself better than he has in the past. Tennessee is not Tampa Bay in terms of defensive talent, but this game is something to build on. Part of this improvement stems from Wilson rekindling his connection with Corey Davis. Wilson's talent continues to captivate me, and I think I'm still a believer. Having time to throw was not the case for Ryan Tannehill on the other side of the field. He was sacked seven times, but still threw for nearly 300 yards and a touchdown without either of his primary receivers. Poor pass blocking does not bode very well for A.J. Brown or Julio Jones when they return from injury, but typically these things aren't always as horrible as they seem. Also, the time in the pocket for Tannehill is almost about a half second more than what the Steelers are providing Ben Roethlisberger, so it's bad but not atrocious. This is a concern, but I don't think it's a death sentence. Lions versus Bears. Justin Fields played better in this game, but the Bears didn't really let him do anything. The Bears ran the ball 39 times and only attempted 17 passes. Of course, this heavy run-pass ratio was somewhat game script related. The Bears were up 21 at one point. But honestly, right from the get-go, the Bears weren't really thinking about passing the ball. With Fields basically doing nothing but handing the ball off, he couldn't run, he couldn't throw touchdown passes. There's just no doubt in my mind that we see Andy Dalton next week as starter, even though Fields is clearly improving. By the way, the the interception that Fields threw was a tip pass at the line of scrimmage, and I thought it looked like a good read by Fields, so I, that's not really anything to be concerned about. By the way, Darnell Mooney's a really good wide receiver, but so is Allen Robinson. The Lions may have scripted towards Robinson, but I think the Bears should still force feed him. Good things happened when they threw the ball to Robinson. Colts versus Dolphins. Indianapolis offensive line finally looked like themselves for the first time this year, and no surprise, Jonathan Taylor looked electric Accordingly. Miami is no slouch of a run defense, so this was a very positive sign. For Miami, Jalen Waddell came back to earth but continued to run very short routes. He's not someone I'm interested in while Jacoby Brissett is quarterback and probably after. Also, Miles Gaskin has pretty clearly lost the lead back role to Malcolm Brown. Brown paid 67% of the snaps compared to Gaskin's 23. Brown even ran more routes in a clearly negative game script. 
I just don't think you can trust Gaskin moving forward. Browns versus Vikings. Now stop me if you've heard this one before. Baker Mayfield missed Odell Beckham Jr. and what could have been a big play. Like I told you in week one that I thought Baker looked good, but he looked really bad in this one. It feels like Baker plays better when OBJ isn't on the field. The thing is, I think Baker feels the need to force feed the ball to OBJ when OBJ is not even that good of wide receiver anymore. PFF ranked him the 96th best receiver in week four. And Minnesota is not some stalwart passing defense. The thing is, OBJ has been ranked as the third best wide receiver on his own team for two weeks in a row now, ever since he came off injury. Like OBJ belongs on your bench, especially with Jarvis Landry coming back soon. And so does Baker Mayfield. I liked what I saw from Baker in week one, but the coaching staff in Cleveland is clearly just going to handcuff him by using Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb leading the way, which was really what I expected when I said that in week one. Falcons versus Washington. Cordero Patterson is defying logic. Received six carries and six targets on only 23 snaps. And of course, scored three touchdowns. Now he's being implemented creatively and I'll give the Falcons credit for that. Sometimes he lines up wide, sometimes in the backfield. He's basically being used like how Michigan used Charles Woodson back in 1997. No fantasy player in their right mind would ever play someone playing only about 30% of the snaps. But in that limited usage, he still saw 12 opportunities. And that's about average for him this past three weeks. That makes him usable. Like, I wouldn't blame you for selling him. But I think he has some staying power, at least for another week or two. Arthur Smith clearly loves the guy and seems to have designed his playbook around him. Defenses might eventually adjust by shifting coverages over to him when he comes on the field, but that wouldn't mean leaving Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts open. Look, I told you last week that the Washington defense inexplicably blows this year, so he certainly took advantage of that terrible defense, but this production hasn't just come against Washington. So do what you want. I, I think you can keep using him for another week or two. Bonus impression, I was kind of frustrated with Antonio Gibson's usage near the goal line. Yes, he got a touchdown from the two-yard line, but he easily could have had another. Washington had three attempts from the three-yard line and gave the first two of those opportunities to J.D. McKissick, which grand total of one yard. Then on third down, they bring in Gibson and play action to him with a spread formation. It fooled no one, of course. I guess I'm not going to panic about the green zone usage. I just didn't think it was good play calling. Texans versus Bills. Dawson Knox has four touchdowns on only 144 passing yards and 20 total targets. Yes, that screams regression, but there is an element of truth here. Knox is playing about 80% of the snaps and has become firmly involved in the passing game in Buffalo, especially as teams key in on Stefan Diggs after his breakout 2020 campaign. Knox plays on an elite offense and seems to have a nose from the end zone. Plus, this is his third year, which is about that right time we expect tight ends to start making a difference. Hopefully, you read my preseason article explaining why tight ends require skill and experience more than raw talent. You could do worse than Knox the rest of the year. I think he's a strong tight end one. Bonus impression, Zach Moss also continues to be usable so long as Buffalo blows out their competition. I actually prefer him over Singletary, even though they got the exact same number of opportunities in this game. Moss is clearly the preferred running back near the goal line. Again, this Buffalo offense is elite. So betting on Zach Moss to find the end zone on that offense is a pretty safe bet. Giants versus Saints. I continue to be impressed with the play of Daniel Jones. He threw for 402 yards, even though he got a little help by playing an extra drive in overtime. 
Still, New Orleans is not a defense to sneeze at. Recall, this is a defense that held Aaron Rodgers in check in week one. Jones didn't demonstrate the clear rushing ability as often as he had in this game, perhaps due to the strong New Orleans front. It wasn't exactly an easy day for Saquon either, but he did run in their only two-point conversion attempt. Jones' breakout has some shades of Josh Allen in it, perhaps not to the same level. The New, Orleans, the New York Giants' offense isn't quite what Buffalo is in terms of talent. But still, I'm buying this. Jones is all the things we're looking for. Solid group of pass catchers, a rushing baseline, and an average defense that frequently puts him in neutral to negative game script. Chiefs versus Eagles. Eagles chose an odd strategy in this game, opting to focus their defense on Travis Kelsey rather than stopping Tyreek Hill. It didn't work. Hill went bananas and the Eagles lost badly. NFL teams will take note of this, especially considering that Kansas City lost their last two games when Hill was held in check. Regardless, you shouldn't be worried at all about Kelsey, even after a disappointing performance. Panthers versus Cowboys. All right, Chubba Hubbard is not a Christian McCaffrey replacement. Instead, the Panthers opted to replace CMC's production by committee. Hubbard was the primary rushing back, getting 13 of 16 running back carries, but it was actually undrafted running back Rodney Smith that played the primary passing back role. He ran 19 routes and saw five targets compared to Hubbard's 10 routes and two targets. And Royce Freeman was mixed in, but he didn't really do anything. We don't know how long Christian McCaffrey's injury will last, so this impression may only help us for one more week. Still, I think Hubbard's a fine start. He's just not going to get that Mike Davis treatment that we saw last year when CMC was hurt. Seahawks versus 49ers. A lot to say here, so just stick with me. All right, number one, Debo continues to play like a league winner. I think you should enjoy it while it lasts because he's still running with reckless abandon. I hope he doesn't get hurt, but the way he plays sure seems like he might. The 49ers also attempted to funnel their offense through George Kittle, which was rather surprising given his questionable health situation. He nearly had a touchdown pass, but it was kind of a bad throw. Um, Trey Lance almost got Kittle hurt on that play. All right, number three, Trey Servin was given the chance to carry the load, and he did He did fine. I, I didn't think it was outstanding, but it might be enough to split the committee 50-50 when Elijah Mitchell comes back, which should be next week. He almost played this week. Still, I believe that Elijah Mitchell will retain the lead role in the committee. Sermon is not much of a pass catcher, apparently. He saw no targets on 13 routes. That might be the separator for Mitchell. We'll have to see. Alex Collins played a lot in this game. I have no idea why. It's just something to monitor. He's a player worth picking up in deeper leagues, but not shallow ones because it looked like four running backs got involved in this game. Finally, Trey Lance played the entire second half, and he put up a lot of fantasy points. He ran quite a bit, and he threw two passing touchdowns. He wasn't perfect, but I thought he looked pretty good. He certainly resorts to his legs almost de facto. A lot of his progressions are very fast reads, and then he runs. So I think there's a lot of room for growth there, but you kind of have to like what you saw from Lance from a fantasy perspective. Cardinals versus Rams. Cooper Cup didn't explode in this game like he normally has, but he still saw over 30% of the target share again. He's going to have an incredible year. All right, Steelers versus Packers. The Steelers' offensive line is the worst in the NFL, as I alluded to before. Ben doesn't look right either. His deep throw to Deontay Johnson looked great, but then he missed some easy ones later in the game after he got hit a few times. I'm just not sure if he's afraid of the pressure or if he's just old. 
But look, the O-line situation isn't improving, and Ben certainly isn't aging in reverse, so neither problem seems to be going away. I think you have to move on from him if you're using him in two quarterback leagues. Ravens versus Broncos. All right, well, Tyson Williams was a surprise inactive in favor of Vlad Bell. That allowed Latavius Murray to dominate the backfield. No running back was particularly effective in this game, not even Lamar Jackson, but Denver's a really good defense, and they were clearly daring the Ravens to beat them through the air. Buccaneers versus Patriots. All right, we got to see Leonard Fournette in a bell cow role, and I thought he looked pretty good. Gio will probably come back and eating eat into some of that receiving work, but the lesson here is that Rojo can, can and should be dropped. I, I don't care that he scored a touchdown. All right, thanks, everybody, for watching. I'm Nate Henry. You can find me on Twitter at NateHenryFF. and go win some fantasy championships. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.